All right, uh, we are going to turn our attention to the Word now. Uh, we're still in our study of the Ten Commandments. Uh, and this morning, uh, we have a pretty straightforward command, uh, like a lot of other commands. Uh, you all know what it is, right? From earlier in the service, what is it? Isn't it amazing it, how, how we learned it as a child is like forever wired into us. No, none of us ever speak with the thous and the theys, but thou shalt not steal is sort of wired into us. Um, that's a pretty simple command, right? Well, uh, we're going to see that it, while it's simple in one sense, it's profound. and It, ha- it works its way into areas of our, of our lives that, that we might not have anticipated. Uh, we like the command, uh, you shall not steal, because I, mean, I like it because I don't want people taking my stuff. I like my stuff. I don't want people taking it. Uh, that's, that's not a problem. But where the problem comes is that not only do I like my stuff, I like other people's stuff. I like what other people have, and I want it. And sometimes in our, in our heads, we can convince ourselves, well, our desire to have it uh, isn't going to hurt anybody if we do have it. So therefore, we move from stealing to saying, actually, I have a right to it, and now I'm not stealing. I'm just appropriating what is mine. Uh, and it's into these kinds of mental acrobatics that the Lord speaks. And he says something more profound than simply keep your hands to yourself. So let's turn our attention to the word. Uh, first, in Exodus chapter 20, we're, we're going to read several verses that are going to inform our discussion this morning. But it begins with this very simple verse, Exodus 20, 15. You shall not steal. And then Jesus talks about restitution in Matthew 5. He says, you have heard that it was said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. But I say to you, do not resist the one who is evil. But if anyone slaps you on the right cheek, turn to him the other also. And if anyone would sue you and take your tunic, that is your shirt, let him have your cloak or your coat as well. And if anyone forces you to go one mile, go with him two miles. And then Paul has some profound words for us from 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 19. Or do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God? You are not your own, for you were bought with a price. So glorify God in your body. Would you pray with me? Father, we, we come to you now asking that your spirit would move in us as we seek to submit ourselves to your commands, to your word. As you have been with us in our prayer and praise, be with us now as we meditate upon your scriptures. Uh, Father, by your spirit, open our eyes. Give us ears to hear that we may take in this command and not simply try to check off boxes and say, we haven't done it, but to actually help us embody a deep respect for what belongs to others and actually to use the things that belong to us in a way that honors you. Work that in us. We prayed for our good and your glory. We prayed in Jesus' name. Amen. I had the, uh, the privilege, the honor of officiating at a wedding yesterday. And uh, it's, you know, some of the greatest privileges I have as a pastor is to do baptisms and to do weddings. I always love looking at the dad and, I, and saying, who gives this woman to be married to this man? It's such a, such a you know, powerful, emotional moment. 
Uh, when, when two people come together in, in marriage, uh, in that ceremony, it's, it's exciting. They're building a life together. It's a celebration uh, of romance. But on a, on a logistics, the logistical side, what we have is two people bringing all their stuff together. And then entering into negotiations on the front end, and maybe a lifelong negotiation of how that stuff is going to be used. Who gets to use it? Who doesn't get to use it? How will it be used? And some of us think our spouse needs to be more respectful of our stuff. And some of us think our spouse needs to learn how to share better their stuff. Uh, As I was having a discussion with the staff this past week about this sermon, we, happened to be, we, were, we were meeting over lunch, and uh, of course, the subject came up of sharing food and what that looks like when you go out to dinner. Because, you know, there are some, there are some, there are some people in your family, a spouse maybe, who says, oh, I love what I have. You should try what I have. And, oh, let me have some of yours. Can, I'm, I'm just kind of reach over to your, the other person's plate. And some, some of us in our families are more like, no, thank you. I don't want what's yours. And no, you can't have any of mine. I like what's mine. Stay away from it. <laughs> My daughters are laughing because this happens a lot in our house. The fact, you know, when, when, uh, when Mary and I were first married, um, uh, we would joke about this. And uh, uh, we had this saying that we would use with each other. Uh, what's, what's yours is mine. And what's mine is mine. <laughs> I thought I was very clever for thinking this up. I would laugh about it to myself. And then my, my wife said, I'm not really sure you're the one who thought that up. Uh, and then in researching for, for the sermon, I discovered, or perhaps rediscovered, that I, I didn't make it up at all. Uh, but that it was from James Joyce in his book, uh, Ulysses. And here I am, all these years, kind of making a joke about how people don't respect other people's stuff. And all the while, I'm stealing from James Joyce. Stealing is uh, more common in our lives than we think, uh, more, more common than we would like to admit. Um, we like what other people have and we appropriate it as our own. And, and the respect for personal property is at the heart of this command, but I would say that it really expands out into all kinds of uh, spheres, like the idea of work or work product, uh, uh, um, ideas themselves, even reputation, you know? Do, do you accrue someone else's reputation to yourself? We have all these ways of justifying that what's yours is really mine. That's stealing. Now, there's the mercy of God to forgive us of our thievery, uh, to free us from our selfish desires for things that don't rightly belong to us, and to make us not simply respecters of other people's stuff, other people's property, but people who love others by respecting what's theirs, but also using our stuff to love them well. The Lord wants us not simply to be, not simply to be not thieves, but to be lovers of people with our stuff. And it begins with the proper respect for personal property. Again, that might seem like a really basic idea, pretty straightforward, but actually it's kind of a controversial one. 
controversial uh, in, in, in theological circles, uh, and even in politics. Uh, some Christian scholars make the argument that first century Christianity, Christianity did not have a concept of personal property. They, they look to uh, Acts chapter 2, and they see the response to the pouring out of God's Spirit there at Pentecost, and it says there that Christians held all things in common. Um, even the early Christian witness, if you look at writings by theologians and apologists, uh, they, they kind of echo this idea. Tertullian, a second century theologian, said that uh, the believers held all things in common except for their wives. Uh, it's a very male perspective to put it that way. But, uh, but nonetheless, he's trying to make the point that there was this sharing between believers. And I think that modern scholars look at that scriptural testimony and that early uh, historical witness and they misinterpret what's really going on there. Because in, in the scriptures themselves, they say that, uh, yes, they held all things in common in the sense that um, when people had needs, they sold what was theirs. They didn't sell it and just put it into a common pot. What's theirs was theirs. And when there was need, they availed their possessions to meet that need. And even later in the book of Acts, Acts chapter 5, there's this couple, Ananias and Sapphira. They have a piece of property and they want to assist in the ministry. So they sell the property, but they hold some of the proceeds back for themselves, but they present it as if they gave all the money to the church. And Peter, the apostle, rebukes them, not for holding back some of the proceeds, but for lying about it. What's yours is yours, Peter says. You could do with it what you want. But you haven't lied to men. You tried to lie to God. And that won't be tolerated. The Lord exhorts us to generosity. But it's not a spiritual call to repudiate personal property. Uh, Karl Marx might not like the idea of personal property. But the scriptures do affirm Affirm personal property. There's a respect for the Lord's providence, which has made you the steward of whatever it is that you have. God puts you in charge. Even if I deem that that was an, uh, an ill-made decision on God's part to make you in charge of whatever it is you have, that's not my call. God makes the call because in the end, God owns everything. And he gave you what you have. I must respect that. So what does it look like to respect what's yours? And it begins with understanding, very simply, what is yours and what is not yours. If it's not yours, if you can't lay claim to something, don't act as if you can. Don't act as if it's yours. You know, when we go over to someone's house and we see this beautiful new couch, we have a respect for the fact that it belongs to them. We don't say, oh, I like that. I'm going to come over later and steal it from them. You know, it reminds me of the commercial uh, at State Farm had of these two young ladies, and, and one brings her friend over to her house to admire the new couch that she's, she has bought, and she said, I saw it, and I just had to have it. And then it switches to the same room later that night with two thieves, and one of the thieves says, I saw it, and I just had to have it. And in his mind, that justifies him taking it. Most of us don't do that sort of thing. Most of us are guilty, though, of the same mentality. I saw something that I wanted, and I just had to have it. Now, we could talk about 
fairly inconsequential things like inadvertently taking a pen from work or stamps or whatever. Uh, we think of, again, we think of them as not particularly important or inconsequential, although the person paying for those pens and stamps might not think it's inconsequential. But there are other things that we do that are maybe of more consequence. We walk away with a book, never return it. A piece of clothing, a power tool, don't return that. We're taking something that isn't ours and treating it as if it is. It's stealing. It's not yours. Don't treat it that way. And what kinds of things belong to other people? Well, some of them are, again, very obvious, the personal property things, things like uh, homes and clothing, food, furniture, electronics, a uh, piece of land, uh, vehicles, ju- jewelry. Uh, those are very obvious. Some people might say, well, I didn't steal it, I only borrowed it. You know, the teenager who gets into your car and goes for a joyride in it and then says, I was only borrowing it, you know, that's not the perspective you have. They were treating it like it was theirs. They had no right to that. They stole it. And we could steal other things, uh, currency, uh, borrowing and not paying back, intellectual property, software, movies, services, even ideas. How many of us are piggybacking on someone else's Netflix account? It's not ours. We shouldn't treat it as if it is. We appropriate other people's work. We claim credit for something we didn't do. We didn't think it up. And for those of us that are managers, it gets worse. Leviticus 19 and Deuteronomy 24 talk about how um, managers, employers, should treat their workers and their pay. In Leviticus 19, it says, You shall not oppress your neighbor or rob him. The wages of a hired worker shall not remain with you all night until morning. Basically saying, for the day worker who worked with you today and might not work tomorrow, you pay him when he has rendered services. Deuteronomy 24, you shall not oppress a hired worker who is poor and needy, whether he is one of your brothers or one of the sojourners who are in your land within your towns. You shall give him his wages on the same day before the sun sets, for he is poor and counts on it, lest he cry against you to the Lord and you be guilty of sin. Now, the the economics of the ancient world are a little bit different than ours. Again, the idea of the, uh, the daily worker, someone would come work for you for one day, but they might not be there the, the next, okay? There wasn't a lot of credit going on in their economy. So when someone rendered you services, you need to pay them right then. Don't hold it back. So the question is for us, do we have a payment that we need to make to somebody for services rendered? Are we holding it back because it somehow benefits us. It's a kind of theft. It's a kind of theft. We're treating something, holding on to something that doesn't belong to us as if it did. And the Lord spells out serious consequences for theft. Exodus 22. If a man steals an ox or a sheep and kills it or sells it, He shall repay five oxen for an ox and four sheep for a sheep. If the stolen beast is found alive in his possession, whether it is an ox or a donkey or a sheep, he shall pay double 
So if you can put it right, you still owe more. And if you can't put it right because, you know, the, the animal's dead or you sold it, then you really, <laughs> you're really going to have to pay. And even if theft is understandable, even if someone is stealing because they're hungry, we, we can have compassion for that, but it doesn't excuse what has been done. Proverbs 6, people do not despise a thief if he steals to satisfy his appetite when he is hungry, but if he is caught, he will pay sevenfold. He will give all the goods of his house. We can understand why people might do things in, in, in desperate need, but it doesn't make it right. How many of us excuse our behavior because I needed it? The other person didn't need it, but I did. And so it's okay. No. No, it's not. And some kinds of theft are so abhorrent, they justify the most serious penalty. Exodus 21 Whoever steals a man and sells him, and anyone found in possession of him, shall be put to death. Don't take what doesn't belong to you. And most of all, we don't own other people. God couldn't say it more clearly. Whatever justification you have for doing what you're doing, for doing what I might do, God says, don't take stuff that doesn't belong to you. People have stewardship of it. We need to respect that. Now, for those of us that do own things that we don't want other people to steal, yes, God affirms your stewardship of it. God affirms your ownership of it. But it implies more than simply the fact that you have control over the asset. It implies that you should use it, use it properly. Jesus begins to get at the heart of the true responsibility we have with personal property on the Sermon on the Mount. Now, again, he's talking there about restitution when things are taken or destroyed and, and how we get justice. And he goes at this idea of a calling for justice and how we should really use our property. Matthew chapter 5, beginning in verse 38. You have heard that it was said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. But I say to you, do not resist the one who is evil. But if anyone slaps you on the right cheek, turn to, to him the other also. And if anyone would sue you and take your tunic, your shirt, let him have your cloak, your coat as well. And if anyone forces you to go one mile, go with him two miles. Now, there are people around us who want the things that we have, whether it's a piece of clothing or a, or a possession, even our time. They want our time. And we can assert our rights. We can say, no, I'm the steward of this. I'm the owner of it. You can't have it. We could say that. We could assert our rights. Or we could use whatever it is we have to win people. God affirms personal property. As stewardship, you have the power to decide to use whatever it is you have as you see fit. But God says, choose it, choose to use it for righteous purposes. Yes, you have rights. Don't always insist on your rights. Not if it thwarts God's aim to love or show compassion or winning someone to God's mercy. Jesus didn't always insist on his rights. And I'm so glad he didn't. 
So the question for us is how might we choose to use what's ours to serve God's aims? Well, first, we need to be taking care of our families, but we've talked about that a a few weeks ago. And beyond caring for their basic needs, beyond investing in our children and setting them up well for life, we have to ask, what is our responsibility? And what God calls us to is this, that those of us who have need to be looking out for those who have not. Deuteronomy uh, uh, 15 talks about how we need to open our hearts to people in need. If among you, one of your brothers should become poor in any of your towns within your land, the Lord your God is giving you, you shall not harden your heart or shut your hand against your poor brother, but you shall open your hand to him and lend him sufficient for his need, whatever it may be. And the exhortation here is, look, be compassionate. Open your heart. Open your hand to those who are in need, those who are destitute. And James also gives us the same exhortation in James chapter 2. If a brother or sister is poorly clothed and lacking in daily food, and one of you says to them, go in peace, be warm and filled without giving them the things needed for the body, what good is that? What good is that? When we turn a blind eye to the needs, particularly those in the household of faith, our congregation in specific, we're hardening our hearts. We're closing our hands. God doesn't want that. He wants us to be compassionate. Now, you might ask, Daryl, that's a good word. What does that have to do with stealing? Well, the scripture connects respect for personal property with proper stewardship of it. Paul exhorts the thief to transform from one who takes into one who becomes a productive benefactor. Uh, Ephesians chapter 4, verse 28. Let the thief no longer steal, but rather let him labor, doing honest work with his own hands, so that he may have something to share with anyone in need. That's the journey God wants us to take. He wants us to go from people who say, what's yours is mine. I'm appropriating. Something doesn't belong to me. I'm stealing from you. I'm going from someone who takes to someone who gives. God is calling us to become like him. Now, who qualifies? Who should benefit from this generosity, this charity that God is calling us to? You know, we might feel bad for the child that doesn't have an Xbox, but that is not being destitute, okay? If you don't have an Xbox, I'm sad for you. I enjoy my Xbox. Come over to my house. We can play together. But you are not destitute just because you don't have an Xbox. Someone who goes home hungry, who doesn't have shoes for their feet, doesn't have a pillow for their head at night, they have needs. And if we turn a blind eye to that, we have a problem. Martin Luther King stated well the hierarchy of our property rights and the value we should place on human life. Property is intended to serve life. And no matter how much we surround it with rights and respect, he's, he's saying, look, There should be property rights. There should be respect for property. But no matter how how we surround it with rights and respect, it has no personal being. It is part of the earth man walks on. It is not 
man. The things we possess, they're just things. They're tools. Tools meant to be in service of life. And, and I need to put the mirror up to myself just as much as anybody else. Say, Daryl, look, the things you have, your life is not found in them. They serve life. They aren't life itself. Yes, what you have is yours, but be generous. Be charitable. How might we be charitable? How might we properly use uh, our things to serve God's aims? Well, I can list some opportunities for you. These aren't an exhaustive list, but they're a list. And these are all ministries that our church is intimately involved with. All among us. All among us is a ministry that is moving individuals out of poverty to self-sufficiency. Maybe you can help with that. Hope Unlimited Kirkwood, introducing the youth of Meacham Park and South Kirkwood to the love of Jesus Christ and equipping them to reach their God-given potential through things like the tutoring program. Maybe you could help with that. Kirk Care, helping uh, our neighbors in the Kirkwood School District uh, who are in need with food deliveries and utilities assistance. Maybe you could help with that. You could write a check. Or better yet, you could volunteer and actually Come face-to-face with the people that need help. Of course, you can always give to the church online. There's lots of opportunities there. You go to the giving page. You know, that's, that's a little bit small there, but if you go to the fund, what fund do I want to give to? There's a whole menu of things there. And specifically, you can look at the Deacon's Fund or 2028 or Disaster Relief. These are things that are di- money directly going to people who are in need, physical need. Or you could just share out of the abundance of your time and talent and treasure with someone just down the street. And you might think, look, we live in the suburbs. There aren't, there aren't needy around here. Uh, not true. So many people who are economically trapped in their homes, yes, they have a nice house, but they can't sell it. And they don't have money for food or for medicine. And you could walk down the street and find out the needs of your neighbor's and give them direct help and share with them face to face, eye to eye, the love of Jesus Christ. There's nothing more powerful than handing something to someone that they desperately need and say, I'm glad to share this with you. When we think about God's mission in the world, the fact that the image of God has, has, been, has been shattered and destroyed, and then God, through Jesus Christ, is seeking to, to, to restore that, to forgive us of our sins, but to restore us to fellowship, to, to, to restore life and dignity to us. This, this idea of sharing compassionately with people is at the core of God's mission. Our care and compassion is fundamental to the mission of God, but also to the witness of God. And Jesus talks about this. He says, the world is going to know that you are my disciples, disciples, you are my followers, by what? Does anybody remember? By the way you... Say it like you mean it. By the way you love one another. And when we turn a blind eye to the desperate needs of our neighbors, we are not loving. God calls on us to be compassionate and loving to the needs of our neighbors. Now, where does that kind of love come from? Well, it comes from a proper understanding of whose we are. 
you, me, the ones who seek to appropriate items that belong to other people, who long to say what's yours is mine, we're given over to judgment. We rightly belong to God's wrath, but God was not content to have us stay there. He bought us back. He bought us back. We belong to him. That's what's behind the passage from Corinthians. I'll read it again for us. 1 Corinthians 6. Or do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God? You are not your own. For you were bought with a price. So glorify God in your body. Even though we belong to God by virtue of the fact he called us into existence, we took, in a sense, what didn't belong to us ourselves, and we sold ourselves into the slavery of sin. And God bought us back. He was not content to, to give us over to judgment. He bought us back. He redeemed us. He saved us. And the scriptures often talk about God's ownership of us. Now, a lot of us recoil from that idea, the idea that we're owned by someone else. That, that sounds bad. That sounds un-American. That sounds awful. No one has claims on me. But God's claims on us are more about belonging. We see it clearly in Exodus 6 and Jeremiah 30. Exodus 6, verse 7, I will take you to be my people, and I will be your God, and you shall know that I am the Lord your God who has brought you out from under the burden, burdens of the Egyptians. I've redeemed you. And then Jeremiah 30, and you shall be my people, and I will be your God. You belong to me, and I belong to you. And when we understand his deep and abiding love for us, belonging to him doesn't seem like such a bad idea. It doesn't seem so onerous to us. It inspires in us an abiding gratitude, a profound desire to honor him with our lives. And thinking about this idea of of wanting to honor someone for what they've done for us, I, I came across this story on the internet. It was a mother telling this harrowing story relating to her infant daughter. Uh, The mother had gone out to lunch uh, with her girlfriends, and her baby girl was in a stroller right next to her. How many of us are going to be able to relate to this story? And she's looking down, and and the baby is doing what baby things, you know, sticking things in their mouth, chewing on things, sticking their hands, slobbering. And uh, as a parent, you, you check, and you go back to your conversation, you check, everything's fine, you go back to your conversation, you check, and then the baby had a, uh, a string of beads in her mouth, and she had broken the string, and the beads had broken off into her mouth. Woo! The mother quickly goes down sh- and fishes out all the beads from her daughter's mouth and then sees that one is lodged back in her throat. She's trying to get it out. She can't. And in the midst of that, she begins to see her daughter go from pink to blue. And she panics. Listen to how she uh, tells the account of what happens next. My loud screaming got the attention of people throughout the mall, including one man who ran across the car park, jumped through the open window, scooped up Luca, that's her daughter, scooped Luca up and had her in a downward position and giving her blows to the back within what seemed like half a second. This man saved my baby's life. I owe him everything. 
And as she recounts the story, you don't have any sense of resentment for her indebtedness to this person who saved her child. You don't have any sense of resentment as it relates to the the, the compulsion she has to tell the story, to sing the praises of this Savior. God loves you. And he's bought you. He's redeemed you. He he loved you so much that he paid the price of his only son to buy you back. And you are not your own. So the Lord calls on us to honor his possession of you by honoring the possession of others. God wants us to move from this attitude of what's, what's yours is mine to living out the awesome truth that you are not your own. Let's pray. Father, we come to you again and thank you for this word. As hard as it is sometimes to hear, we know there is life in it. Father, remind us again of your love. And by that love, transform us into people who give glory to your name by honoring Uh, the possession of others. More than that, by taking our possessions and using them to love the people around us. Father, by your spirit, through this word, change us. Let us leave this place more like Jesus than when we came. We pray it in Jesus' powerful name. Amen.